happy magic monday on a saturday (laughs) it's pretty appropriate i think it's pretty perfect that we end up aligning our schedules so that we can and i always post it like on immediately so i guess i don't even wait until monday but (laughs) people get to it by monday (laughs) well it's i don't know monday for us perpetually i think that's actually fitting if it was monday perpetually and the title of the podcast is our life is hell because that sounds like hell that's what we're talking about today guys (laughs) yeah Uh, well (laughs) i think it's funny um the reason why this topic came up i don't did i even tell you how i came up with this topic kate maybe but we were i think it's actually in our last podcast but um, remind me i'm sure it's in our last podcast and i i just like to retell stories but my husband my husband told me once that his life was hell in a very dramatic way um and that just stuck with me (laughs) for a long time and something that i think about um i had this experience several years ago now I was on vacation and we had been traveling a lot and it was me and a group of friends and we're basically in paradise we're on this tropical island kind of had enough and everyone was like grouchy and tired and my really good friend said it reminded her of this play and I'm forgetting the name of the play right now but basically the play is all of these people are trapped in hell but hell is like just a normal place and they're, yeah, Yeah. it's, they're torturing themselves because that's in our nature. It's very similar to the concept of the good place. Right. I should know this because I was a theater major and I'm like, this is keeps slipping my mind, like what the name of this play is. But part of it was um, these people all show up here. Right. And you like, just like the good place, you have no idea how you got there. You don't remember anything before besides like, it's like you open your eyes and the play starts and there's no doors to the room so you're just like in this room perpetually and that it's like when you were younger did you ever play with the sims and then you delete all the doors out of the house and just see what happens (laughs) (laughs) um you know strangely enough like i really um my my self-belief in that i was there was something wrong with me and i was never good enough permeated so deep that until recently I didn't even play morbid games Uh, you know what I'm does that make sense (laughs) I actually hate video games I only like games where nothing happens the sims is kind of like that yeah um but I remember we used to play the sims and just do like random things like that like delete all the doors out of the house or make the first floor like a pool um and then I kind of think well, that's fairly sadistic for people to do. And I'm not the only one who did no, this. I'm all sure. my friends did it. They would like, one friend had so many ovens going, it started a house fire and they couldn't get out because there were no doors. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Like my so, girl programming is so fucking deep that when everyone, when Sims came out and we were all playing it, I still couldn't imagine doing it myself, even though I loved watching other people do it. I would still be like, oh, it's so bad. Oh no, that's so bad. But it's only been recently, in like the last year or two, that I'm like, oh, that's a fun fucking thing to do because it's just a game. Right. Yeah. And I guess that's the whole point, right? Like, you know, we're in a simulation right now. Probably we're in The Sims and some sadistic kid is just playing the game and is like, what will happen? Like, let's just delete all the doors out of these people's houses and see what goes down. Keep moving the door every time you cross the room for it. Oh God! The doors aren't actually. This is horrible. The like books on the fucking shelf and vases and flowers are doors. It's like not what you think they are. Yeah. But this makes sense because there's um, a thing people see in multiple, like any kind of medicine ceremony that you could fucking think of. At some point, somebody will be like, "I saw the Matrix, and we're inside this big computer program." And I used to think that they really were seeing this thing, and that I it, it's. Um, I was like, okay, so we are Neo and we are inside the Matrix. Okay. But then when I went to study with the Shipibo, um, you look at their designs and the way that vibrations create songs, their designs look like circuit boards. 
Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the fucking cosmic joke is that humans think that they made circuitry and everything is wires in this way that's very tangible and physical and like we're inside this actual physical matrix in that way when actually vibration looks like circuitry and we've built things like computer chips that mimic these great um, quantum mathematics. Right. I mean, it makes sense because it works, right? Yeah. If vibration travels that way, why wouldn't we create something? Micro, macro. That... Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's well, wild. I think you and I kind of got on this topic the other day where I texted you and I was like, Kate, we fucked up. We keep saying how this is our last lifetime here. And I don't, now I like literally don't think that's the case. I think we want it to be, but I think we're kind of stuck because uh, I was thinking all this week, just because of all the craziness in the world and in my personal life, I've been doing a lot of meditation on suffering and I was doing the, uh, Kate and our friend Lindsay, we have these, I guess they're called, what are they called? Compassion cards? Yeah, the Pema Chodron. Yes. And they have all of these Buddhist teachings on them. And I was reading one about the Bodhisattva vow. And essentially, people take this vow and say, they will continue to be reincarnated until all beings are liberated and free. Yeah. And I think we fucked up and we did that. Yeah. I, a long time ago. I'm convinced <laughs> that this is my, there are multiple things about my birth chart, planets where they are, and then things other people have seen about me that I feel like this is my last time being a human on this earth, but I will not be leaving. You know, I'm like an ambassador. It's like stewardship. So I'm, I'm not going to, it's not going to be this like fucking epic painful human thing but i'm here for a while for this one. Oh gosh i hope i'm i have the same <laughs> thing i'm like i think i'm stuck being a human for a yeah, while but i We're still humans right yeah. i was thinking about this so much kate i started to get like real deep into it and you know i was reading about the bodhisattva vow and then also watching a bunch of YouTube videos on it. It's a very simple vow. It basically says, like, you pledge um, to be reincarnated over and over and over again to liberate all beings and that essentially uh, bring about the progression of Dharma on Earth and help everyone end their suffering. And this doesn't mean, like, just the beings on Earth. It's, like, on every planet in every it's universe. collective consciousness. Right, yeah. right. So I was watching this Dharma talk where this Buddhist monk was talking about how the Bodhisattva vow is kind of pushed a lot, where they're like, you have to take the Bodhisattva vow. It's the only way, all of this stuff. And he's like, I'm getting off the wheel, guys. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> he said how he thinks it's everybody's choice, but he doesn't. he's not sure it's the right choice. And he talked a lot about how in some of the Buddhist teachings, the Buddha says it took three expansions and compressions of the universe for the Buddha to become the Buddha. Mm -hmm. And he, this monk was saying, he's like, I don't have that sort of time. <laughs> I'm willing to dedicate to this. It's a very strange thing because it, what it makes me think of is this feeling I've had going into all these fucking plant ceremonies. I love them so much, but I go in as, an, as a flawed human in only remembering this lifetime and I'm like how can I be of service and the plants just kept saying you are and I'm like no how can I be of service and they're like no you are <laughs> you are and that there's all these people that co will come forward and just be like I don't know why I say what I say when I'm around you I don't know why I feel what I feel lots of people especially being like this cute blue-eyed thing um and a woman in in medicine circles as well like walk in the room and i've mentioned this before watching people think like you can see their face like this chick has been so full like whatever there's nothing's gonna happen what the fuck do i want my money back but then by the end of it you know it's like they realize that there's a proximity to 
to like our medicine as humans, you know, just like being around each other mm -hmm. shifted something for someone for the better. And the, the way you talk about this bodhisattva, I'm like, fuck, that is so how I feel. And this whole entire life yeah. since I was fucking born, I was like, I am ready to be done. <laughs> because we don't live in a community or a culture, I feel like that really acknowledges or supports this. There's not really a place to be supported. So that's like, there's this deep, almost like aching, like longing to, to be recognized in some way. But what we do is very ephemeral, it's not tangible. Right. I mean, I think soul searching and connection with the spiritual yeah. is not very valued in our culture. Yeah. And I think that's why we're so lost sometimes. Um, I just, I've been doing so much meditation on suffering and the nature of suffering. And there's very little you can actually do. Mm on this plane to end your suffering, you know, like obviously you can change circumstances sometimes, but most of the things are outside of our control. So part of it is like this radical acceptance of this is happening in the moment and now this, and now this. Mm -hmm. um, but also knowing that all of this is an illusion right. and this is just a fragment of what we actually are. There was a quote I recently read, and so I can't, I'm bad with source, but it was a Hopi elder, and uh, I think that they're alive at this point in time, and they were asking, um, they were asking for people to consider eradicating the concept of struggle, that any of it is a struggle at all. Like, can you let go of needing it to be a struggle or having struggle in, I guess in this way, that I've also been listening to this other person talk about good and bad and light and dark. And that the minute that you experience something and believe it is good, like you eat something and you're like, holy shit, that's delicious. You've also now just created darkness and the exact opposite. Like every thought, every moment that we experience is a moment of creation. Abracadabra kind of vibe. Right. Right. And so to have these good or bad moments or these values will like immediately bring the polar opposite into being as well. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, 90% of my suffering is like worrying about stuff that may happen uh. and then worrying about stuff that has happened and I have no way to fix. Time so it's a lot of wasted time travel. I think. <laughs> yeah. It's so fucking true. And that was kind of, there's like, a, I know that this quote, this person was sharing that I read had multiple parts to it. And essentially that was the concept, you know, it was like, um, what would the identity be beyond that? Um, and that it would actually be really fucking present. But this then hops to another. So we were, I mean, I feel like we're making it sound really nice right now, but our episode was about like how this is fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly I mean let's speak on that it's like, it has to um how I've recently been interested in this is uh that Stefanos de Mateus do you know how to say Mateus yeah I think that's how you say so it. this dude was basically his story I think he's in his 30s now and his story is he was born remembering every life across the fucking quantum universe ever that sounds like a curse actually yeah he but... Yeah, definitely like had the beings tried to like reveal themselves comfortably to him as a child like first in dreams and whatever and then very playfully as like spirit animals and stuff and then they were like okay it's time for you to learn and then it became these daily like boof, downloads and um it's just it definitely you can see he's he's very driven by um all the collective knowledge to share and he's got this whole thing on Gaia TV and he was there was this one episode about the creation of everything in his second season and as he was talking about the quantum physics which look like sacred geometry when you start to draw them right like these things are shared in that space and he started drawing these mandalas with the concepts of like realms and fields and two dimension and three dimension and then creation and as he was going, all of a sudden he started talking about this sixth dimension 
that doesn't really exist in any other place. And that's a very unique thing to earth is this sixth dimension of imperfection. And that this little granule, right? Like fucking, can we say like sand to pearl, you know, like fucking coal to diamond. This little hiccup was actually intentional. This curl in the universe, especially in our Earth's creation, so that it would help expand the consciousness in this whole new depth and perspective of, um, of contrast. Because everything could be like bliss and fabulousness, but is that the total experience? Do you really know what the fuck is going on if you don't know everything going on? So what you're saying is we live on the island of misfit toys. Yeah. <laughs> and this is often mis-, mis and labeled as like a lot of people call this Luciferian. But Luciferian actually translates to like morning star, which is a whole different conversation. But this is what you could say is the hell realm, the sixth dimension, this like Saturnian thing and this, you know, you know, the, this is this, this is why we could call Earth hell is that it is the place that embodies this darkness, this possibility of depth. And in this way, like ultimate pain, like real actual pain, you really, what, however real or not, we believe this experience to be our avatar human bodies believe that we're feeling this pain and that we do die. And so potentially there's like nowhere else in the fucking quantum universe that you experience this. Well, I, it's just like the matrix, right? We're in the matrix. They're like, your mind makes it real. Uh But just think of all the bullshit that we like torture ourselves with. Oh my God, it's so unnecessary. Pain and death are like (laughs) the big ones, but I don't even think most people think about those things until it's happening. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people are caught up in so much BS and drama and, things that have no meaning whatsoever like Instagram and Facebook and all of those things where we start to believe that that's real it's like the matrix inside of the matrix and we're just going levels deep on it and the things that are real are very small where it's like you go outside and you feel the air on your skin and the sunlight and you know the trees and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but how often do we feel those things? Mm, it, only when life has really slowed the fuck down to the smallest point. But right now, we believe if we don't know everything going on, that we're checked out instead of tuning in and just being involved in the place that we're in in this moment right here and now. Right. Yeah. And you know, I think suffering is being brought up for a lot of people just given everything going on in the world. And, Mm -hmm. you know, on top of your own personal suffering, where it's like that meme with the dog in the office and the office is on fire and the dog is just like, everything's fine. (laughs) And I feel that where it's just so much stuff going on, but also it's like, you still have to pay your taxes. You still have to go to work. You still have to worry about I don't know, Instagram or whatever BS. Yes, Kyle and I have been talking about this and it's it's been something between the two of us because we've been talking about like, we've been educating ourselves on our own CPTSD and really everything that's happening now is just, you know, like has, it's turned up the heat. So we're trying to like buckle down on our own <laughs> language building. And, and a lot of this has been around this concept of like, other people are not used to this kind of chaos and so they're being triggered and reacting in ways that is extreme. And, um, oh, fuck, I had this whole other idea. Wait, Gina, start talking about your, your brilliant idea again, because now I got lost. Which brilliant idea? I have so many. <laughs> oh, no, here it is. I got it. That was it. It's perfect. Just the sound of your voice brings back all the epiphanies. <laughs> just, you just are focused on Gina. Um, thank you yes uh, well we were really talking like what I realized and he's realized in different ways like really tangibly is that somebody you just don't fucking understand unless you've experienced it you just you just don't understand something and you don't understand to the point where you know you're you're 
I'm now 37, almost 38 years old. And I can look at things where um, my mother is 30 years older than me. And it's really been the last uh, seven years of my life that I've been able to have a radically different perspective on her parenting and my feelings about it. <laughs> and like, even though we're in different places of our life at different ages, I'm like, ooh, my opinions of, as a teenager versus my perspective of what my priorities are as a 20 something versus my perspective now. Like, what are really my priorities? And all of a sudden, in the last couple of years, those things have radically shifted. Right. I remember, I feel like my whole life is just relating things to memes. Yeah. <laughs> so have you seen the meme with Shrek? And underneath it, it's like, as an adult, I now understand why Shrek just wanted to be left alone. Seriously, yes. <laughs> also, yes, memes. <laughs> But it, you change. We're not static beings. And mm -hmm. I wish I knew as much as I knew when I was 17. Ooh, that makes me think a lot about this uh, image, this constant of the, you know, the good and the bad and the yin and the yang is that chaos is constant. So I, I'm always playing with this saying people are like, change is constant. And then I was like, well change is kind of just like death and death is constant and then I thought oh even more than that primordial chaos which is necessary for creation is constant because well Kyle and I last night were talking about how to find serenity within yourself if everything is a fucking constant you know hellscape you know what I think about a lot with the word serenity <laughs> oh I don't mean to interrupt your story, but Please just do. whenever I hear someone say serenity, all I think about is Seinfeld when George's father is screaming <laughs> serenity now. And literally throughout my day, mentally, I scream that aloud and it makes me feel better. That's awesome. Holy shit. Yes. Yes. It really is the, like the mundane practices that that are the strongest, I think. So you and Kyle were talking about finding serenity yeah. and did you find it? Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's, I think that's a whole nother fucking practice, right? So we have tools for finding serenity or like finding that place of calm in the body. But what we talked about is like, you can't really root outside yourself. Like if everything is always changing and everything is always shifting and everything's always dying, which means new things are always birthing. So there's always this point of, um, of constant, rolling in and out on itself and that would be the chaos of creation so if you know that chaos is constant you find that almost eye of the hurricane and yeah go to the middle mm -hmm. of it the center of it and then scream at the top yes of your lungs. and in, in ceremony this is literally a thing where people say you go into the trunk of the tree into the tree of life and when you do the sacred geometry of it, that's the Sri Yantra, it's the seed, the flower of life mandalas, like you spin them, it's the tubular torus. And that looks like the eye from the heart center. It's like how the universe keeps track is this cool little sacred geometry where it connects itself with the sacred eye. And that always is in the center of it, which is in your heart. And which is like, blah, 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 I fucking, I'm on a tear about I'm so sick of people being like, come from your heart space, breathe from your heart, like find your heart place because I don't, I don't know why I don't like it right now, but I don't. It always reminds me of this moment. Have you ever been to the Tulip Festival? No, but I hear all about it. Well, I, I love we should go when it's safe to travel because it's so pretty. And I went a couple of years ago with Nick and we're there and this woman she had like a son who was like, I don't know, maybe like five or six. She was taking a picture of him and she kept yelling at him, smile from your heart. <laughs> Stupid. What the fuck? And now whenever I take a picture of Nick, I just yell, smile from your heart. Because what does that even mean? That's the most absurd and like, shit ever. That's like when people say those things. And I think it's very confusing and unapproachable um, to a lot of people who aren't used to yoga or meditation where they're like breathe from like here breathe from there and people like they're like damn I don't even know how to breathe from my lungs no most 
so teachers of yoga in these days aren't really taught anatomy they're all just like saying the same metaphors with each other over and over again and we don't realize that is until until you teach a normal person <laughs> yeah yeah nick has been my helper in that where you know you're like okay breathe into this space and he's like i can't he's like i can breathe into my lungs and i'm like okay it means like relax relax that part of your body and he's like well why didn't you just say that and i'm like i don't know nick that's just how we say it i think kyle deliberately misinterprets what i say because he's of course i'm sure kyle and nick do that they are so you know about they're so nitpicky Mm -hmm. what hayokas do you know about hayokas no oh fuck the coyote spirit man oh that's yeah They do everything ass backwards and often they live on the fringe of society because they make everyone really uncomfortable with the way that they teach. It's like just like quiet, sadistic humor. Often they're not afraid to be the butt of their own jokes, but they have total like vanity about themselves and how like eccentric they choose to be. That's so funny. (laughs) Nick would be so offended by that description, but it's like he, I, he definitely gets a little bit of the coyote spirit here and there where he'll like, he loves to joke, right? And he'll get like this mischievous smile after he says something that's very much like the cat who ate the canary smile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They know it. But Kyle's like, I think it's good to have someone question you and make you really think about the words you say because words have power. We've been learning a lot from each other because um, it's like all I ever want to do is really read someone. I'm really, I'm all about pinpointing and that's to a fault of my own. And um, Kyle, basically we've figured out that he has never really defined himself except for by other people. So for the last 13, 14 years, we've been playing this game where I'm like, you are a slippery fucking fucker. (laughs) Who are you? What are you about? And he's like, well, I'm not about that. And I'm not about that. So basically for 14 years, whatever I show up as, he always plays the devil's advocate. And He's your shadow totally. aspect. Totally. This is why it's not even a joke that we're twin flames. Like, you know, the whole thing of um, I came out prematurely and he was late term and we came out three days apart and I joke that that's the whole like Shiva and whatever. Oh, shit. You know, the mythology of like Shiva was asleep on the mountain until waiting for yes I'm yeah Yeah. I feel Nick and I are twin flames as well and you know it's like so freaky years ago and I think about this all the time I spoke with one of my friends and she like mentions this sometimes where Nick and I were dating and I was talking to my friend about him and I was like I think we're twin flames the only thing that's bad about that is twin flames always end up a tragic ending and (laughs) I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be in a terrible accident and die young. And then I was in a terrible accident and I momentarily died. And after the accident, I remember she was like, you predicted this. Yeah. Uh, but Nick and I, so Nick and I are six months apart and our charts are opposites. Wow. So you got. So he has all of the shadow aspects. Yeah or like my shadow aspects and I embody all of his shadow Mm -hmm. aspects. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, we've talked about this, how like they came down with us as as the guides and actually fucking saw something. Maybe it was the Sabrina teenage witch show that I've been kind of secretly binging. (laughs) I'm not even secretly binging it. I watched all of it. And then this morning I restarted it. And then I was like, damn, this is so good. (laughs) So good. Oh, I fucking love it. Although like, I just want to take it and fix it and make it how it really was. Cause it just makes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's okay. We'll, we'll make the whole community. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's real. Like having this, this being this part of me, because really we're all one and that whole. Okay. I looked up my Neptune is 28 degrees Sagittarius and uh, second house 28 degrees Sagittarius is the galactic center and Neptune is the spiritual portal 
Um, and uh, so I have that there. And then I'm going to, I'm like, this astrologer, I follow the Leo King. I'm way into his shit. Mm-hmm. And he was like, dude, y'all, did you guys know there's an asteroid named Wuhan? You should do your fucking astro.com birth chart, go to the extended selection, go down to this place where you like check out the asteroids, click Wuhan and see where it is in your birth chart. Oh, damn. I'm going to have to do that. Oh, my God, Gina. Where the fuck Wuhan is in my birth chart? It is 28 degrees Sagittarius. So. Which means for you. I'm, like, so bad at this. Like, when you and Lindsay are talking about (laughs) astrology, I'm like, oh, okay. So I was sitting at a table. I would be sitting. uh, I would be sitting as, like, well, it's, like, mm, I guess we could say Triton, Poseidon um and you know all that that depth of like poseidon is also considered enki and lil which is one of the gods of creation right but it's like through to the galactic center which is the the black hole of our universe um the like place of all creation i have uh basically the idea of checking where your wuhan asteroid is it can show you what your relationship is potentially what your relationship is to this experience this pandemic like what what it's activating what it's what it's kind of aggravating um and of course in hindsight you know 2020 in hindsight we'll know more about it but yeah but I'm like dude that's like what have I been doing but sitting here in my house um really diving deeper than all the spiritual bullshit like I've basically been burning my own spiritual flame all the way down to the ground to be like if I had nothing but my own blood, sweat, and tears and a pile of mud under my feet, like, what the fuck do I believe in? And, uh, That's the magic. And that's... That's why I don't believe in any, like, I'm sure tools are really fun and nice and helpful for people to, like, direct their energy, but I think it's all kind of a scam. Because you get caught in the hell of it if you think you need to keep buying things and doing things and acquiring things. Like, I talk about the it factor. There's this contrast in our culture. We love the person who has the natural capabilities. We're obsessed with it. Like, we really idolize those beings. But then they come into conflict with people who are educated and highly highly practiced in that field. So, like playing guitar, someone could be naturally gifted at it, but have never taken an actual class. But yet they have, like, a brilliance. If you but there's also a lot of wasted genius. There's a lot of people I know where I'm like, dang, you are naturally talented, but didn't do anything with it, I guess. It's so it's so much. There's like there's not a place because we all have this natural inclination to be like, well then you should go do this thing with it. Like people find out that I have a background in performance and all of a sudden they're like, You should do voiceover, you should do commercial, you should do movie, you should do TV. You should do this. And I'm like, dudes, I used to try to do that shit. Do you know the actual work once you get into com- commercializing and labeling? I mean, Gina, you run your own business, you know, setting your own prices, running your own like fucking insurance and, you know, renting space. Like, right. there's legit. I think, I think the thing for a lot of things with talent is what is the price you're willing to pay? Like, sure you have natural gifts we all do but everyone has natural gifts to take it to the level where it's like a business where you're making money there's a cost it always will and some people are so naturally inclined to that they understand that that they soar within you know and then you find out someone who gets carried up at karaoke night has this like rock star voice and you're like what the fuck and it's like well you yeah. know you want to know what my natural what? gift is i'm really good at failing oh shit oh shit that's a good one <laughs> i like am the best at being really bad at things and then just continuing on until i figure it out um <laughs> that is a fucking superpower i like oh people always ask me how i do all of the different things that I do. And I was always really bad at like every or average, I guess some things I was really bad at. And I don't know. I I just am okay. 
Failure practice is all about like my life is hell, <laughs> right? And not being attached to it. It's all about this lesson. It's all about not pulling away from your suffering. I was thinking about this a lot. Um, so I feel like I suffered a lot in my life. And like, I'm sure people are going to be like, oh, woe is me. You know, Gina has a very privileged life and all of those things. And that's true. But like, I also have gone through many a things I think would have killed other people. And I agree. This is that thing Um, of like, people just do not understand unless they've actually been in it. Like, we all from a different lens of experience versus being internally through that experience. Exactly. And I think looking at me, people don't see that because Mm -mm. while I'm very familiar with my own suffering, that's not the label that I wear. Like I am not my suffering. I am something that is beyond suffering. And that's what I learned. Like, yes. And like you're badass about it. And then Gina and I chat, and I'm sure you have other friends too, that you're like, okay, I need to bitch this moment. And we talk to each other. So it's not that we don't have realistic moments, y'all, that like, I'm not- We're very human. pissed off. But like, those are emotions that tell us about ourselves if we get comfortable and knowledgeable with them instead of just like, be toxic. Yes. I was talking to Nick about suffering and just like everything going on in the world that's wearing on us. And, you know, I said to him, I'm like, we all just have to get really good at suffering. And he got very annoyed (laughs) by this. And he's like, that's your advice? Get good at suffering? And I'm like, that I think is pretty solid advice for being alive. Um, It doesn't mean that suffering is a constant, but I think it it's an ebb and a flow. Like there, even in really bad moments, there are moments of peace. Um, And of course I'd rather skip the suffering part of things, but I don't think that's an option. And you know what, this is what TRE trauma release exercises teach us. Mm -hmm. And this is what I actually believe is my tool and my place of serenity is having a very simple a practice that triggers a natural mechanism in my body to regulate my nervous system. Yes. We all have to learn how to do that. Regulation of our nervous system and our emotions should be taught from the moment we're born, but it Mm -hmm. isn't. So it's your duty to figure out how to do that. And it's not hard. Like it's not crazy stand on your head. Sometimes that could be good in inversions can be helpful but it's like things like if you look up um google butterfly hug and it's a very simple practice where you just kind of cross your hands over your chest and gently pat your shoulders in time with your breathing and it's very soothing to the central nervous system and tre it's not crazy exercises it's accessible to every different individual and there's modifications for everything yeah yep Sometimes, my, like, we check in with my facilitator because I'm still, like, slowly chipping away at learning. And she's like, what's your practice like? And I'm like, well, maybe I do a full, you know, just because I'm in session with it, two practices a week that look like 15 to 20 minutes. And then there's other points where I just do it all the time now. Like, um, if I'm feeling stressed while I'm waiting in line, like everything that we do now takes a lot more thought and, and organization. And every time I go to the store, they're organizing it a different way. And so instead of just get the pissed off and grip my body in line, I know that I can, for TRE, it's, it's a tremor. It's a shake. It's a like the, you can let that like agitation go from a nervous tick into just like one leg. And for me, I love to dance, like free movement dance and let the whole thing move through the whole body. Or I'll just lay on the floor and um, it looks different because sometimes the fascia stuff is so small that your whole body, it's almost like Feldenkrais. Do you know Feldenkrais? No. Fuck, I love it. It's about this really yin experience of 
of trusting that the body knows exactly what to do. And sometimes you have to move the ego away from, I mean, it's about balancing with the ego and giving your mind something to kind of hamster wheel on, right? <laughs> Which mm-hmm. is what I feel like TRE is, is like seven warm up stretches. And then you basically find a way to get your legs to just shake a little bit. I have this visualization of you like tap dancing down like the aisle in a grocery store <laughs> where you're just like, ah, oh, screw this. <laughs> I love to soft shoe, yo. I wish I was a tap dancer. I love it. My Irish Celtic side comes in all the time whenever I dance. Man. Do a little jig down the aisle. Yeah, love it. Totally. Especially like now that there's all this room. <laughs> Right. People will definitely stay six feet away from you if you're doing a jig. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, you know, figuring out how you emotionally regulate is important and it's different for everyone. Um, Part of why I started practicing Kundalini is a big aspect of Kundalini is getting comfortable with suffering Mm -hmm. because of the different holds and things (laughs) like that. They seem very simple, but they're like going to kill you in the moment you're just like my arms are burning I'm doing this repetitive motion for several minutes and what you realize is like it's kind of like a a wave that you're riding right so you get to the crest of the wave and you're just like I can't do this anymore this is horrible and then that just dies down and the person who you are steps in to control where it's just like it's okay these are just physical sensations you're okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that um well I did Bikram yoga before I did plant medicine and then people were like how do you handle this plant medicine so well a lot of help from the plants but then I was like y'all should start doing some Bikram yoga and some kundalini because once you yeah. get used to well, I also had a lot of amazing training from this professional. His name is David Taft, and he was a professional um, uh, Italiano clown teacher. It's fucking amazing. Commedia dell'arte practice. And he would do all kinds of shit that would get our minds really fucked up and confused and then be like, where's your point of focus? How, how do you control your breath? Um, just going from moments of total like standing up and feeling like the world is spinning but not losing your balance and I think yeah right. there's so many moments I, I used to always say about hot yoga or hot Pilates but I loved it because I couldn't think about any suffering but my current yes. suffering of being like this room is so freaking hot dude I got it the first time I did Bikram yoga, even though I'm not into the dude or whatever, the, the first time I did it, I did the, the first time the standing feet apart, head to knee. And at that point, that feeling, right, there was so much going on that I had to maintain to keep my body in control that I fucking lost my control of my emotions and I started sobbing so hard. <laughs> And then after that huge cry, I stood up and I was like, oh, my God, I get why people do this. Yeah, yeah. I had a moment like that um, last week where I was taking a spin class online, just like watching a video. And I, I've been going through some stuff personally, as you know, Kate. And I just started like crying. And then I did like a meditation. And then I was like just thinking to myself, you know, even though I'm suffering in this moment, this is like my personal experience that could never be recreated ever again. And this is good for our DNA because you're shifting yourself into a place where you're in a safe place and you're pushing your, this is the long-term conversation of why do the TRE and stuff is to create a new normal with your own sense of stability and regulation so that as shit flies around you, you're like, I understand my body and I know how to move through this. Right. Right. And I think a lot of people are really afraid of suffering and pain, but being alive, that's part of being alive. And I kind of think about those finger traps. Did you ever play with those when you were a kid and like stick your fingers? (laughs) And the harder you try to pull them apart, 
the tighter it gets. So you have to like go against your natural instinct of escape and push your fingers together and then you're able to get them out. Sabrina, they were like, don't go towards the light, embrace the dark. Yeah, yeah. And we have to honor those aspects of ourselves because you can't dull a feeling, just one, then you risk dulling all of them, right? You, you disassociate, you cut off a part of yourself. And, you know, instead of doing that, we kind of have to go and be like, all right, this is my experience in the moment. Let's see, is there anything I could do to change it? Yes or no? Decide to take action or not? And then kind of be with yourself. Yeah. It's ultimately all there is. It's yourself. I've been doing a lot of the Tonglen meditation, or I guess it's like loving kindness meditation. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But on like, it's similar to loving kindness, but it's on like a different level. Um, it's called like the warriors meditation so obviously I was attracted to that <laughs> idea and in Tanglen you just kind of imagine going to someone or a place or it could be someone dead or alive um, or even yourself and taking that person's suffering mm-hmm. and you just imagine like this dark cloud coming off of them and that you consume that and transmute it And then you shine like healing, peace, light, whatever you want to call it onto that person. And I was thinking about this the other day um, and just like this very powerful, I've been having very powerful experiences with this meditation, just feeling like these waves of emotion for the people I care about. And I was texting with one of my friends and we were kind of talking about someone who we both loved and cared about who passed away. And I told her, I was like, this is the meditation I've been doing. And I've been thinking of you and like going to you in this meditation because I know we're both suffering. And she was like, you know, what's crazy, Gina. I've been doing the exact same thing for you. Wow. So I encourage people to try it because you you don't have to know someone's suffering. We're all alive, so we're all suffering. And, and it was a big comfort to me, this idea of like, wow, someone was doing this for me and I didn't even know it. It's very much like um, the, the physics of it is thoughts in water. Like we can, and we can't fix things for each other or literally, mm, I do believe there is some radical healing that we can do for each other but it has to be, you know, co-created. But I do think absolutely that the sending of acknowledgement and love and the, you know, like the power we have with that, the power we have with our thoughts, I mean, the collective conscious, oh, fuck, so powerful. Do you think, and this was something I was wondering about, if you become a bodhisattva, that you retain your enlightenment and you just kind of like remain here on earth and help people? Or do you think you come back and you don't remember that you're enlightened? I don't think you do. I think it's like the avatar shit. I don't think you do. I think it's, I think that's the, that thing I was alluding to earlier. of like, it's really frustrating to have, like, keep coming into this it's, I think it has different words in different eras, epochs. So I think some call it muse, right? Or like, you know, people, like, yeah. I feel like I can call myself that because we have to find ways of actually living as humans. <laughs> and like spiritual monastic life was definitely something we've been accustomed to. But I, th- I think it's a, like the way that I feel that it's worked out for me is to work through this thing and to do this work was like my, the life right before this one. So I think that it really was this, um, in all these different ways, I was trying to reach Nirvana, heaven, you know, it's like all of the different states of bliss. 
I think that it's a lifetime of connecting through like all these points that create almost like a grid, you know, of like collective conscious of your own soul and those that you've like, it's a big woven tapestry of, of layers, right? Different realms. Um, yeah. And there's a point where like, if you look at just all based on my astrology, if you look at where my North node is and the different planets of death and life and reincarnation, it kind of points to like, I have done this so much that I have earned this um, very, very high gift of being an incredible human life. Like it just, all the human things now, instead of needing to do anything else. And it's a very, it, like, I've, I think I've done a podcast on it, but I was like, I was really upset when I read, the, <laughs> read this astrology and I had like felt big waves of grief because it felt like all of those other lifetimes I had given up so much in the extreme spiritual dogma of whatever thing I had followed, institution or belief. And that all led me back to this incredibly human life. Mm. And that wasn't what I thought I wanted, but it is actually the last little gift before is like remembering all these lives you know to be human and remember all these things before I can then go be to the next level which is um, I think one of those beings that holds outside the earth you know like a guide I think I'm going up to like that next level wow Kate I guess if I'm stuck here next time around and you're a guide you. you're gonna have to be on my team <laughs> because I definitely don't feel like I, I'm going to go back out into the universe and just void around because I'm like, I get this feeling that I've had enough sensorial experiences. <laughs> I'm exhausted, but that you have to really do that in order to step into this, like that position, you know, like you, like I really am ready to, to hold that bridge. I'm, I'm going to hold the rainbow bridge, Gina. Oh, that's so pretty. I'm going to be here because I feel, I, feel very committed to this idea of like the bodhisattva vow um, when I was a, when I was a little girl um, the first time I heard what a bodhisattva was was actually because of a Steely Dan song <laughs> and my dad loves Steely Dan and there's this song called uh, bodhisattva and we were listening to it and I'm like dad what does that mean and he said it's a being that reaches enlightenment but chooses to come back and help all others reach nirvana and I remember clearly thinking well obviously I have to do that because also part of me feels like if you're an enlightened being you would realize that that's the only way right like if you realize everything and are enlightened you realize that all beings are one and any suffering is your suffering it's it's exactly what I have been like it's cracked open in my body the last six months like the understanding of this I'm so I've gone through such turbulent emotions about everything in humanity I feel so absolutely serene right now I mean a little stressed about the bills but also more more serene than logical because there's this what you're describing this like unknowingness It's also a nice thought, too, if a bodhisattva comes back and they don't remember that they're an enlightened being. Maybe all beings are bodhisattvas yes. and they just need to wake up. It's yes. It's just a, it's like all perfectly timed, though. Like it's all meant to be so that we can like hold hands to like, the, you know, yeah, this is one of my teachers. <laughs> <laughs> he's like yes guys yes. all right enough of the podcast pay attention to me <laughs> like, yes this is the we're here teaching each other holding hands uh, I always think it's funny Kate when you leave me a voice memo and Charlie's like in the background <laughs> leaving me a voice memo too and I'm like hi Charlie I can't not the only time like sometimes if I need quiet time I know the spirits are really bothering me when um, if I play my music he'll run away but not, not just like my voice. If I sing and it's only my voice, he'll come towards and he'll he'll screw up my recording. But if I play any of my instruments, he'll 
like run away so it's too scary for him yeah it's very big feelings he loves music but it's like big feelings and so I know that's kind of like spirit being like yeah you need to fucking sit down and play music we're gonna send this little creature here to bother you (laughs) 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 pester you until you play (laughs) yeah well I mean life is hell right so they're probably little demons just come to torture us oh man all the teachers all the teachings you know it's 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 wild to like okay right before we chatted i was passing around this idea this concept that i had heard this woman talk about talking to trees and how she's always talked to trees and she was she's just spent her adult life remembering everything that came naturally to her as a child and i feel like that's definitely identifiable for me i get it and she's like so i talked to the trees and she's like, I've gone back to just talking to the trees. She was, she was like, I was one of those weird kids, though, that, like, wouldn't hang out with people. Like, just hung out in the forest. And then she would just put her hand on the trees, and she would just talk to them like people and tell them about her day. And as she started doing this back again as a grown-up, so she's been through all of this quarantine, like, taking walks and very intentionally, like, touching and talking trees, since we're not touching or talking to each other very much. And she has been getting these whole experiences about trees sharing with her that the concept of mycelium is true and real through all things and every time one tree experiences something all the trees know and experience this thing and uh this goes so far as to extend to all things that trees are made of uh like when we write on paper the things that we write on paper the trees are learning and sharing this knowledge. I mean, can you imagine like things, mm. cups and plates made out of wood? You know, the trees are still alive. Houses. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that we're all still alive. And so this concept of spirit is really landing for me in this very, very real way. I'm like a friend of mine who builds sacred... Mm, he builds huts and things and houses with using sacred geometry. But he's really into like indigenous uh, Swedish traditions. And one of the folklore up there is to tell the tree the night before you cut it down that you're going to cut it down. And it's not to tell the spirit of the tree. It's to tell any spirit that may be currently living in the tree that you're going to cut down the tree. Yeah. And you're like, okay, you're a victim. Yeah. Which we hear from Lilith. Lilith was kicked out of the tree like um inanna asked her brother to kick lilith out of the tree of life so that lilith could carve her i mean so that inanna could carve her throne out of it poor lilith she's just like we maybe that's our next talk about how trashed she is (laughs) like she's amazing and she's just always getting trashed on yeah she can't even chill in a tree guys no no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's the whole tree of life. And that's a whole, like, mm, we got to talk. about Yeah. Because there's a conversation. There's many parts of these mythologies, the Sumerian especially, that people think are myth. But now we talk about potentially being real, right? History. So Erishkigal is the dark s- sister of Inanna. And Erishkigal is basically, like, goes down into hell and uh, can't come back. There's something about her becoming the queen of hell that she can't go up to heaven. I think she can come up to earth, but she can't go up to the heaven realm anymore. So there's this interesting stuff. Because earth is hell. You know? <laughs> and Anana and her descent has to take off seven layers of her own identity, ego, whatnot, um, and go through seven gates in order to even get to Erishkigel. But um, where the interesting mythology starts to cross for me, where the stories cross for me, is this hymn of Anana that's so sacred about Anana using this sacred tree and all this, the conversation about tree, well, Zeus or Enki, you know, the divine male god of the heavens, made a throne out of seven sacred woods from the tree of life for the dude that he wanted to send down to Erishkigel, the queen of hell. Like they sent him down to fight a battle and basically conquer and uh, fall in love. 
so there's a lot of this using the wood from the tree of life that the gods put together so many different harmonic levels to create thrones for themselves i don't know what is this is something i'm interested in you know in diving more in we need mm-hmm. to we need to like a risk girl maybe being lilith conversations about the tree of life because it's it's about something that transcends all realms so essentially the tree of life in cosmology in shamanic journey is this idea that the upper realm the middle realm and the lower realm are separate but yet they're all connected and you can get to them through each other i need to research more of this because every time you bring up these stories I'm like they sound so badass I, you know on my reading list it's like uh the Bhagavad Gita yes. and obviously you know that's a tome to get through so maybe I'll start reading that and, time with each other <laughs> yeah I mean we should have some type of book club on your Patreon yeah. Or something like that, if people are interested. Um, there's going to be... a page that is, like, that would have some kind of... Like, maybe there's a blog page or something. Yeah. And there's going to be a Kundalini yoga nice. class connected to this episode. I'm going to be recording that this weekend. So Ooh. check everything out on Kate's Patreon. Um, you can find her... Yeah, it's all about the uh, Bodhisattva vow. And I think it's going to be surprising for people because it's not a typical Kundalini class. If you've ever taken a class with me, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. It's cracking. <laughs> the whole, like, meet your ego and decide what to do with it is real in Gina's classes. <laughs> yeah. But just enough, you know, not to the point where you're, like, destroying your body, just to that balance fucking place. You really take it to a sweet spot. Well, thank you, Kate. And then everyone can find you on Instagram, but the best way to get a hold of Kate is through her website because DMs are a lot. Yeah people it's like a lot for us to to get through the larger you build an instagram page to be as a business the more um spam and like crazy bots yeah through so you just uh, you know i want to be that fucking medicine lady on the fucking mountain that you have to show up to and just drink some tea with and hang out so slowly but surely yeah like all kinds of good stuff on the recording side since that's where it is but um yeah and I personally am not interested in like you know representing anybody's merch I get so many things that they're like are you a boss babe and I'm like ew delete (laughs) no I'm in no way shape or form interested in that yeah mine is like that merchandise or like people spam me with psychedelic shit all the time I'm like dude come on (laughs) well this is a level of hell the commercial commercialization level of hell whichever level that is i think it's one above actually meeting the devil it is because as soon as you get into the world of trying to do it you have to feed it more and more if i can leave anyone with a um, marketing 101 it's that your audience needs seven exposures in order on average to take uh, advantage of an opportunity so you have to if you've got an event that you want people to click buy and sign up for you need to give them at least seven messages exposures moments availabilities to like click on that fucking link and that's just for one event. Imagine if somebody is running like 12 events for a month. No, I don't want to, Kate. It, it's crazy. <laughs> it's and then everybody comes up with these new gifology things that do special fucking radiant magic shit. And I'm like, how do you have time? Oh my God. <laughs> I don't do any marketing for myself. And I have an abundance of work. That's so. why I'm going to, sh- we're shifting into the manifestation, like actively. I took my um, vision board from last year and I felt this perfect call, Gina. I literally cut it the fuck up in this way that there's a piece of it that is like, no, this is actually what I want. 
no more of the other shit. This is like I could see, I can see clearly now. <laughs> and I was like, and then you know, let it come, let it flow. Don't don't fucking desperately grasp at it. Exactly. Once you become a master at failing, nothing is a failure. Oh, I love it so much. Oh wait. So next episode, we're talking about Master of Failing, and um, let's just get nerdy about our own Lilith things and bring that to the table to, like... She is the, like, Master of Failure. Eleven, eleven on my clock, right when we talk about her. Word, portals. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we will we'll do, like, a how to fail and radically accepted and pull yourself back up and just be like all right well now I know what not to do in that moment um type of podcast next time as well as talk about Lilith and Kate it's always so nice to do these with you and I will be sending over the video for your Patreon um sometime within like the next 48 hours I need to just do that class that you're All right. I will talk to you later um, and have a wonderful rest of your magic Monday. Yes, you too, darling. Everyone, we love you. Go be badass, but also be accountable as fuck.